because you know hatred is the is the socially acceptable form of murder. Right. Right. We don't. We don't. We wouldn't murder someone, but we can hate them. And Jesus said hatred is murder. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast all about understanding our culture and how it influences you today, but seeing it through a lens of biblical truths, right? Every Tuesday we spend in the Bible studying the Bible and what it says about how we should be living our lives and how our lives are affected and what God says we should be doing. And then Thursdays we spend um, time talking about the culture and what it's doing and impacting our lives in the modern day. Um, we are blessed again this week with Pastor Harv, the, what did we decide last week? The pepper, the, the sea salt, sea salt, <laughs> sea salt pastor, or the, what are the other salt options? There's, there's lots of different ionized and non ionized. There's all kinds of salt options, but he's pretty salty as well. And Pastor Doug um, wants him to speak this week on conflict, right? Yeah. So we're we're in this new series again called Get Up and Go. And last week we did Get Up and Go, Be Intimate. And we talked about the biblical truths about how we are made by God to be intimate with others uh, and to be intimate with him. And then to this week, we're going to talk about the second one, which is, is how do we handle conflict? Because built into the notion of humanity is we will have conflict. We always have conflict. Uh, and the question is, what do we do about that? And one of the things I think we as Christians need to get comfortable with is the idea the world is filled with conflict. In fact, I mean, you begin with Adam and Eve. I mean, the first thing that begins to happen is they have conflict. They have two children. One of them kills the other child. They obviously had conflict leading up to that. And so when we address conflict, and by the way, as Christians, when we have conflict, it's it, there's not a the, the issue isn't having conflict. The issue is when we have it, we have been given this great beautiful, amazing gift from God, which is, hey, I have a way you can work it out. I have a way you can move towards forgiveness. And then beyond forgiveness, I have a way where you can move to redemption. That is, we can actually make it right. So rather than buying all those self-help books that are on the market today, you're saying that he gave us one thousands of years ago, if we would just read it and listen to his suggestions. Uh, pretty much. I mean, all you got to do is go look at the bestseller list. The Bible's always at the top of the bestseller list because it's the most bought, least read book in the world. It's amazing, right? Yeah. It's big paperweights all over the world. Well, and and I think broader spectrum, before we dive deeper into this, this notion of conflict, um, you're kind of taking these first three weeks of of this new series right. to really just discuss we've been cooped up together you use the analogy of you know some of the biggest counseling times is right around christmas or after christmas and uh after you've had the kids home for a while July, yeah. um, mm -hmm. and we spent 18 months together and so right. you're kind of like hey before you can get up and go out you got to resolve all the stuff you've been dealing with for the last 18 years or 18 months, not 18 years. Some, yeah. some people have Feels 18 like years it. worth yeah. of stuff. But, dog years. Yeah. Um, well, you're right. You know, and, and I mean, think about all the cool things that we work hard for to have a vacation with our friends and our family during the summertime. And the last thing we want to do is bring along 18 months worth of pent up frustration and unresolved conflict. And so when Pastor Doug was praying and we were praying about this sermon series, one of the things we talked about was what would it look like if, if at the beginning of Get Up and Go, we say, hey, get up and go. And by the way, when you go, be healthy and be healthy in your relationships and work those things through. Because worst thing you want to do is spend $3,000 on a vacation and end up being in a conflict the whole time, right. which can happen. So talk to us about um, kind of why this inspired you. I, I know that the world is in kind of a lot of conflict now. I don't know that that's necessarily more or less than it is 
naturally, it's just different kinds of conflict. And with, I think, all the social media and news attention, we see it more. Absolutely. I mean, if there's something going on, heck, I mean, if two neighbors have a conflict, it ends on, up on the night. Yeah, it's on the nightly news, right? And you got video to go along with it, right? I mean, you right. know, they've got reporters all over the world. It's called all everybody with a camera and a phone. And so, yeah, there's conflict going on. And, you know, we do live in an era of conflict. And, and I've, you know, when I was growing up, I always wondered what would it have been like to grow up in the 60s? I mean, I was born in the 60s, but to have been, you know, in your late teens, early 20s, uh, early 30s in the 60s. And I feel like we're kind of living that again. You think about all the teenagers are and, you are you talking about like the cold war is that what you're no, referencing no, no, i'm talking or about the social change that happened i mean change. the 1960s okay. were massive social change that happened in america and what happened that was very important was the the family changed dynamic during that period of time uh it it, it just the the culture said yeah go do whatever you want to go do and you know you had the summer of love you had 1969 you had all those things going on interestingly enough yeah all the people that were teens and 20s at that period of time are now in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, well, mainly 70s and 80s, and, and what are they doing? They're just doing whatever they want to as well, and they're trying to change and restructure the entire culture, mm. and that started a long time ago. So in this era of conflict, it just seems so broken. I mean, I think that's the hardest part is, like, conflict is not a new thing to the world, but with how much attention and time we spend focused on it, unhealthily focused on it, and not resolving most of it, it just feels like the world's just falling apart between all of the different things. I mean, we're in, you know, a couple wars, right? Like well, there's multiple. So, yeah, there's so many wars going on. I mean, what, what, here, I wrote this down. What, what do all these, have, all these countries have in common? Venezuela, Somalia, Iran, Russia, Turkey, North and South Korea, Yemen, Mali, China, Libya, Mexico, Afghanistan, USA, and Ethiopia. They're all in declared wars. They're all, they're mm. all in wars right now. There's only 232 entities or countries, if you will, uh, at least Wikipedia says that, around the world. And here you have 14 uh, predominant ones. And, and that doesn't even count the strife between countries like India and Pakistan, the strife between countries like India and China, uh, Taiwan and China, all the different you know things going on around the world. There's just so much strife. There's so much conflict that goes on in our world that we kind of become numb to it. I mean, think about it. If you had to keep up with all of that, you'd spend your whole day thinking about people not getting along with each other and not just not getting along with each other, but having trade wars, class wars, gender wars, racial wars, socioeconomic wars, neighbor wars. You know, we, we use that word war all the time. I and mean, we have a football game between Rocky Mountain High School and Eagle High School, and they call it, you know, the, the, the war of the river, you know, yeah. across the river. And you go, we've just become so common with the idea that conflict and that we have unresolved conflict mm. that I think there's a weight that we carry because of it. So, I mean, on top of those, you know, almost 30 wars that are raging, all these countries, you know, you listed something about 14 countries or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and 30, and 30 declared wars 30 around declared the world. 30 declared wars. Yeah, and exactly. then on top of that, you know, the, the peacekeepings. Uh, yeah, the, the, the UN has got 13 different stations right around the world. And missions going on right now, right around the world, where people are wearing blue helmets, standing in between other people and saying, don't fight. Because you're talking about just declared wars. There's plenty of undeclared wars or wars that don't count, yeah. quote unquote, for those audio only listeners. I'm using air quotes. Yeah. yeah. Do not count. They're just uh, internal strife. Um, yeah. strife. Yeah, that's <laughs> but right. But they're full fledged guerrilla yeah. warfare and things going on in some of these countries. Well, you know, so. you, and what's so interesting to me and bringing it back sort of to Idaho is, is that, you know, when our kids, uh, our daughter just got all of her grades, the other daughter in college, she just got all of her grades. And, you know, you get all these things that come along with grades 
And, and it really does matter. We focus so much on what the letter grade is, but the truth of it is whether that box is checked or not checked, which, we, which is this, gets along well with others. Mm. Man, that's that's a, like a key one when oh. you're in kindergarten. That's like your yeah. number one evaluation grade when you come out of kindergarten is I can play well with others or needs to be detained until right. can improve. Hey, but enough about my childhood. Let's <laughs> yeah, keep moving. Right. Right? So, <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean, and, and, and you know what's interesting too is I've been reading in the, uh, several different places where one of the big things that people are worried about hiring new people coming out of COVID is how will this person sue me or not? Mm. Which so so now all of a sudden not only are you trying to make it in the marketplace you're trying to make it in the marketplace and wondering am I going to have some internal strife that's going to keep me because even though maybe we were a market leader but we we couldn't you know bring a group together to actually work together and not fight with each other. So we've talked a lot about um, you know we international conflicts things of that nature. I think I think you're probably not innately going to be talking a ton about that. We're we're focusing a no. little bit more on on our interpersonal uh, conflicts and stuff like that. So No, you're right. And you know, what we're going to do uh, is we're going to go through the book, uh, and we're not going to go through the whole book of Ephesians, but what we're going to do is is I want to give a little order. Let's go into the Bible study part sort of of all this. God really cares about us resolving conflict. Mm -hmm. I, there's a verse in Matthew chapter 5. This is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, even people who just redact the Bible down to, what are the red letters, right? Well, in the red letters, it says this from Jesus. If therefore you're, uh, this is Matthew 5, 23 and 24. If therefore you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember your brother has something against you. This is, Jesus has such wonderful layered teaching because we can think about maybe things we have against somebody else, but what he's saying is when you come before God, be so open and introspective to the leading of the Holy Spirit that if you know someone else has something against you, that you should do what? Verse 24, leave your offering there before the altar. Go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Jesus, one of the reasons why it's so hard to study Jesus is because he goes to the next level to begin with. He doesn't just say, hey, go work it out. He's Jesse not like not. a slow burn. No. He's like, yo. <laughs> yeah. He goes all the way to the far end. He goes, hey, by the way, if somebody has anything against you, and you go, well, what am I supposed to keep a running tab of people that have got a problem with me? Right? I mean, I drove here from my house. I'm sure there are five people going, that guy in the gray van? Uh, well, what is he? Oh, he's a pastor. So, uh, so no, it says be aware of the relationships around you so much so that even if someone has something against you, now it's not meant to create neurosis in us. We're not to walk around in, on eggshells relationally. We're not to walk around on eggshells in, in all these spheres and everything that we live in our lives. But what we are to do is, is that we're supposed to care about reconciliation. That's, I think, Jesus' secondary point. Care about being reconciled. Think about this for a second. The whole notion of John 3.16 is that God said there's a problem between us, uh, God, and humans. And what is that problem? Is that we are sin-stained and he is holy. Mm. And what did he do? He went and sent his son to do what? To be an ambassador of reconciliation. I love the story of the prodigal. In that story, it shows the heart of God. And in it, Jesus says, the father, representing the father heart of God, ran toward the son who had been rebellious, ran when he saw his son coming back, ran when he saw his son who'd gone to the end of himself, even though he'd blown all of his resources. And think this out. One of the struggles about conflict is because we have enough data to kind of like validate and prove our points. You know, he had what? He'd taken his inheritance. He'd run off to another land. He had prostituted himself. He had lived among the swine. He had fed the swine. And here he is coming home to his father and his father embraces him. And I think this is such a powerful, powerful picture of the heart and love of God because he resolves conflicts 
we can resolve conflict. So when you go to Ephesians, now we're, we're going to look at, so you have Ephesians. Let me just do kind of a chocolate, or do you have any thought that you want to fully? No, I that? mean, I think it's, I think what you were talking about with reconciliation is one of the biggest things. When I took my conflict management course in my communications degree, it was all, I mean, if they pounded anything home, and I'm sure this is the case in a lot of marriage counseling, things like this, it's never, well, you need to beat the other person in this argument. It's, we need to attack this problem together. And the problem is the conflict, not the person. And I think that's yes. a lot of what Jesus has been saying Absolutely. that since the beginning, right? And Separate people the just issue now, from the person. Yeah, and it's some, and I think a lot of times, especially nowadays, the problem are the people. We hear that in a lot right. of the arguments is, well, you did this thing to me. It's not your behavior. It's not, you know, it's not the issue of something you did. It's you as a person are evil or you did this to me and therefore you should be oh, yeah. punished. And it's like there are cases and but uh, it gets kind of thrown around a lot of it's you innately are wrong and it's never, hey, this thing that happened between us is the issue yes. and we need to fix that. Oh, that Jesse, I mean, that is a powerful thought and idea there because we have to disassociate. God does this with us. He, he, he removes our sin from us. He sees that as something we did wrong. One of the struggles going on in our culture today is if people are going back and looking at things that people said when they were 17, 18, 19 years old and saying, oh, that's who you are. That's, that's who you are. You are, a, you know, whatever IST at the end of all of that, right? Right. Well, who hasn't said stupid, stupid things in their lives? Mm. And the point of it is, is what would it look like if we were remorseful? What would it look like if our heart changed? What would it look like if we actually had a change of heart about something? Right. But we've kind of lost that because we just what you said. We have said, if you say something, that is who you are, and that and you'll have to own that the rest of your lives. And and the way the internet works is, it will be out there for forever. Well, and if, if I channel my inner Pastor Doug of doing 100 episodes with him, yeah. he would bring it back down around to deconstructionism. You messed up sure. once, and therefore, all of you is flawed. Yeah. But God has said, and Jesus said, as you were quoting in these these passages from Ephesians, from, yeah. we're, we're separate, they're separate things. You as a person yeah. are not you you the conflict you are different things well yeah you're, you're right you know uh, so i speak german and my family i grew up in germany I was born in germany and we have i have german relatives and you know my, my german's a little bit rusty but i get along just fine talking about it but one of the things that's interesting about the, the german language is it's hard to directly translate the word forgiveness uh into their language they don't have like a direct word where you go oh yeah mm, forgive interesting and, yeah blau is blue we know what blau and blue are right but how do you translate forgiveness and they almost kind of like to have three or four phrases to kind of come around to it and the real notion is it's something like a seinfeld commercial where you know or, or a seinfeld episode where jerry goes i was and he can't get the word wrong out you know and right. we here's why christianity is so appealing is that it gives us the tools to deal with the issues that happen in normal life and actually build restoration with people. Mm -hmm. And and we do, it's kind of overstated, but we, I mean, overdone and said oftentimes, but we live in a throwaway culture. We throw away everything. We If we don't throw it away, we recycle it. And if we don't recycle it, we compost it, right? So it's either the blue, the green, or the, the gray bin that we toss stuff into. And unfortunately, we've gotten accustomed to almost doing that with relationships. Mm -hmm. And the hard part of it is you run out of people. Right. So, so, so Christianity should be this appeal to us. We go, you know what? That person really did matter to me. What would it look like if I could actually resolve conflicts with them? And, and I, 
one of the most beautiful moments that happens is, is that when we resolve conflict with someone else, there's a, there's a chapter and verse. So you get to Acts chapter 3, verse 19, and it says uh, that it is, repent therefore and return to God. This is a, a me and God kind of thing, but it applies to people too. He says, repent therefore and return in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. One of the most beautiful outcomes of conflict resolution is that you refresh the relationship. So we're about halfway through on our time yeah. today. I, I, I think we can hit both of these, but I want to kind of know where you want to go next. So we've yeah. we've seen Jesus say, hey, attack the problem, not the person, right? Yeah. And go you resolve the conflict. Go yeah. resolve the conflict. Do yeah. you want to talk about what unresolved yeah. conflict either mutates into if you don't resolve it, or do you want to talk about what he calls us to do in order to resolve conflict? Yeah, you know, next? I think I'm going to spend a lot of time on Sunday talking about what we do to go resolve conflict. Okay. So I'm going to focus a lot on that. But one of the things that's in Ephesians chapter 5 that is, uh, sorry, chapter four, that's a very important list, is if you go to Ephesians chapter four, verse 31, Paul gives the outcome of what happens when you don't resolve conflict. Mm. Okay, and so he says, and so in verse 31, he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Now, let, let me let me, let me, me actually turn those around for just a second, and it's actually a progression. Here's the progression. He says this, is that when you don't resolve conflict, it moves in this order. It goes from malice, which in if you go to the Latin or you go to Spanish, mal is bad, right? Mm. So any bad thing, okay? Then the second word is slander. When something bad happens, what we do is if we don't resolve it, here's what we do as humans. We go find someone to approve our position, we go to find someone else who says, Start yeah, going I can't whispering say, around to people. I, did you I, hear yeah, what so-and-so I, did to me? Yeah. So slander, think about what slander is. Slander is theft. Slander is saying this. I'm going to take Jesse's good name from someone else by saying to him, hey, you know what Jesse did to me the other day? Mm. I mean, and because I didn't resolve that, what I wanted to do is I want to, and we always do it in this way that, that, that is so deceitful, right? We, we say, hey, this situation happened. I just want to, do you have any thoughts on this? Well, and then what we end up doing is we end up sharing our malice with someone else by slandering someone else's name. Then there's another thing that goes on. Look, I mean, I, that's why I love the Bible. It's just so clear about this. The next thing is, is that he says, it goes malice, slander, clamor. And here's what clamor is. If I was sitting here the whole time tapping my hand on this desk and just going nonstop, tap, 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 tap. At, at some point you would say, and the listeners would go, I, what is he doing? You're driving me crazy. <laughs> Here's what we do in relationships. We start out with something bad that happens. We slander. And the next thing you do is we create angst in the relationship by clamor. We create scenarios where we tap, 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 tap. And people just go. They, they Here's what happens. We prove the point with clamor by saying, we're see, provoking, Jesse, yes, right? we're provoking. That's okay. exactly a oh, well said word. Well, then after that, we go from malice to slander to clamor. And then we go to the fourth one, which is anger. It says in there, you go to anger. And anger, by the way, that word for anger and wrath are two different Greek words in there. The first word for anger is a word for spontaneous anger. And that is we just lose our temper. Mm. Okay. So think of this. We go from malice to slander when, to clamor. When clamor doesn't work, we get angry. And what we do, we blow off our top, right? Mm. We say something really bad with our mouths. Maybe there was a level one offense that happened in the beginning. And we come back with a level three something of anger in our lives because it's just evolved into this it's got disproportionate right mm. and then there's this next level and there's kind of if you were drawing a line between one two three four five and six you'd probably put a line between four and five because when you go from four it's kind of this progressed to here five is the word wrath and that word wrath is what you if like we have you know in our culture we have different laws around murder one murder two murder murder one is premeditated murder i plan to kill you that word wrath 
is the word for premeditated anger. I will get back at you in a way that hurts. Mm -hmm. So so look at what happens in relationship. You go for something bad that happened. Could have been a level one. And then you go to slander. And now somebody else knows about it. And then you go to clamor. You create a better, a bigger situation until finally there's combustion of anger. It goes to a level three, four, five. And then all of a sudden what you do is you then begin to seethe and you get to wrath. And then when wrath doesn't work, because, you know, hatred is the is the socially acceptable form of murder. Right. Right. We don't we don't we wouldn't murder someone, but we can hate them. And Jesus said hatred is murder. Right. And so when we when that doesn't work, we're only left with the last one. And that is Paul said bitterness. We become bitter. And so the progression of unresolved conflict leads us to that place where we go from a small malice to a slander, to a clamor, to an anger, to a wrath, to a bitterness. And by the way, before that, that's verse 31, verse 25 or 26, it says, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. When we don't resolve conflict, we give time for it to get worse. I feel like I hear that phrase the most. At, I do a lot of weddings mm. between DJing and I feel like that's, that's an advice I hear a lot of couples give newlyweds of don't mm -hmm. go to bed angry. And That's right. is, that, is that a similar feeling of oh, yeah. don't let it fester overnight? Don't, you know, Absolutely. some people say sleep on it. And I think there is a time it's place for space. Yes. But it's not, it's not like a, a physical night's sleep. It's more of like, don't let... Don't let months no. go by where you're sleeping on this result, unresolved issue. Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, you, what happens is, is that when we internalize it, it seeps out. Mm. Okay. It seeps out in all those little, the one through five, you know, one through six I talked about. But then the other thing that happens is, is that it is, I don't, I don't know about how you grew up as a family, but we, once in a while we would go out for breakfast. I mean, very rarely we'd go out for breakfast and I remember we'd go out and ask, and I, and I always love getting pancakes. And, and you know, here you are, this little seven-year-old seven kid, you know, Harv, just with his fork and knife ready to <laughs> dig in and like that. And, when I, and Dad, I want the full stack. I want the full stack. You know, and the dad's looking at me. My dad would look at me like, you're never going to eat it all. I'm like, Dad, I want the whole one. We don't go out very often and like that. And so finally he relents and we get the full stack of pancakes, right? Right. So, so I get those pancakes. And then what happens? I get, you know, I load them up with butter and then I put all that syrup on them. And then what happens is I get about a third of the end and it starts expanding in your gut. And then you're, you know, and then you're drinking milk and it's getting, you know, like that. And your dad, my dad's looking at me going, you're never going to. I feel like get... I should have ate breakfast this no, morning. <laughs> sorry. Well, but, but the point I want to get to is this is, is we pancake our, we pancake our problems. We keep stacking them on top of one, two, three, four, mm. five, six, till we end up with this 50 stack in front of us, even so much so that we get to a point where we go, I don't, I don't even know why I'm mad at you, but I am. Right. Right. And, and, and why is it? Because we let all those little things go on, and it's because we don't deal with it right there. We don't deal with the issue as it appears and when we can deal with it right then because we're so afraid of it being overblown. And yet, and in, in, in he gives us a model to say, don't overblow it. And one of the things you said earlier is a key to over, not overblowing stuff. And that is this. I might do something that was bad or wrong. It doesn't mean I am bad or wrong. Mm -hmm. And someone might do or say something to me that hurts. But what I can do is disassociate that what they said isn't really the core of who they are and how they feel about me. Yeah. So, I mean, once you see this kind of conflict in in our lives, you know, you start hitting into those, especially that five and six, that wrath and bitterness phase you you start looking for exit signs in your relationship, right? Like oh, whether yeah. you know whether Look it's a romantic door. or an interpersonal relationship, you're like if you get to that point, you're it feels pretty unresolvable at that point, right? I mean, well, yeah. Well, well what happens is is that we th we start throwing out ultimatums, and when ultimatums start flying in relationships, it's pretty much over. And and by the way, 
this is just a, a um, uh, I'm going to get technical for a moment. When you drop ultimatums and you don't act upon them, all that does is elongate the pain. And, and what it does is it starts stacking up warriors on one side and warriors on another. And what you do is when your ultimatums don't work, you go get other people to validate your ultimatums. And then you get decay. Uh, think, I, you know, it's interesting because we're doing this one of conflict resolution on July 4th, right? Right. Think, just that progression you just talked about for a minute. It's an interesting thing that happened in the establishment of this country. For several years, there were colonists who were sending back letters to the United Kingdom, back to King George, saying, this is not working. This is not working. There was actually a guy who was a farmer, uh, and, well, he wrote under the pseudonym of the name of a farmer, and what he did was is that he wrote 12 letters, and they circulated around the colonies, and those 12 letters were sent to King George, and they and they became this, the, hey, look, this is not working. Mm-hmm. And so they were trying to resolve the conflict. I don't think that they were looking to not be British. I think they were looking to just say, could we work this out? Until finally what happened was, on July 4th, you know, 1776, they said, enough. Okay, here's what we're, we're declaring our independence. And and out of that... They, they were getting the exit sign for the relationship. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they exited the relationship. And, and, and in that case, you know, let's don't go one-to-one here, but in that case, you go, wow, something really great was born out of that. I In... In our personal relationships, that doesn't work that yeah. way, because you, you we are not countries. Unfortunately. No, we're not. You know, and 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 also one of the things that can happen is is that there's nothing more beautiful than being in harmony or peace with someone. That is a goal we all have. So talk to me a little bit about um, conflict within families, because I mean that was a, a lot of the idea behind your your first three sermons in this series were you know a lot of family strife can happen. I mean, obviously between other interpersonal relationships could have happened during COVID, but very especially, you know, what has happened to families that have been having to quarantine or completely upheave their lifestyles. What does strife in families look like or, or conflict and where does that usually come from? Um, yeah. As far as things like that. Of course. Yeah. Sure. So, well, let, let me give you a line that I, I, I think I came up with this. I don't know, but I, I, I've been circulating it in myself in my mind for about 20 years. I've been using it in a lot of different scenarios, but it's this unclear or unspoken or unrealistic expectations result in unmet expectations. So, sorry, which lead to unmet expectations, which result in broken relationships. Mm. So unspoken, unclear, or unrealistic expectations. So what happens is we begin to expect stuff from other people. And instead of communicating that, what we do is we just begin to expect it. And it, the, the statistics are the statistics. I mean, they've been out, when I was going to grad school and working on pastoral counseling, the statistics were that 85% of couples that end up going to a, a counseling of some sort do so because of lack of communication. That's the biggest issue struggling in a relationship. That lack of communication in the marriage relationship between the husband and the wife oftentimes leads into a lack of communication with the kids. And when the kids are growing and going and they're doing all kinds of things, um, they begin to have expectations. One of the biggest things that starts to create all of that is the social pressure to conform, which is why parenting around teenagers is so difficult because the kids now have been put into a world of socioeconomics where they need to conform and they're getting peer pressure over the top. The kinds of shoes they wear matter. The shirts they wear matter. The drive, the car that they're dropped off in school in matters, right? And so all that stuff gets striated, right? And so you get all that granularity and a kid is wearing about so. Where does it all start in families is that it starts with this notion of we have expectations and we just begin demanding of that. Mm. And, 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 and I would add to you one other thing I think is peculiar and new that's going on here. 
I think it's been kind of like shown bare through through COVID is that I'm not saying this about all school teachers, please school teachers. We love you. We care about you. We appreciate you. We pray for you. We're going to pray for you in a month and change or so, you know, as you go back to school and all those kinds of things. But there are lots of, and Pastor Doug does a lot of this on this podcast. There are lots of organizations and institutions that want to separate parents from their children around training, leading and guiding and directing their lives. Mm. And, so you get one message going on at school all the time, and you get another message coming home to a Christian value base in a home, and all of a sudden now you have conflict because someone is either right or wrong. And think this out. Think about the quality time that so many teachers have with our kids. That creates a little bit of it. The other part of it is, let's just say it's selfishness, yeah. right? Selfishness is the root of all of that stuff. Mm. I mean, we, we have this, I mean, James chapter 4, I printed this out, we'll talk about it, but what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Verse one says, "Don't they come from evil desires at war within you? You want because and you don't you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you don't get it. So you fight and wage war and take it away from them. I mean, is that that's like you know, childhood one hundred and one, right? I mean, kids fighting and scrabbling, and you know, my dad in the you know in the car turned around and go, if I have to pull over, you know, I'm going to separate you two, and it's not going to be pretty. And I mean, <laughs> don't make me turn that car around. Exactly. Well, they took what I had, you know, and I want that back. And and what I would say is selfishness. And one of the things that we have to learn and grow in in our lives is unselfishness. The other thing is this: is that a lot of strife happens in families on uh, over wants and needs. Mm. over wants and needs. Think about what we really, really need. And our world is driven by what? Our economy is driven by what? Making sure you get what you want. Right. We don't always get what you want. I mean, you know, it's a famous song, but it's also just a, a real <laughs> saying. We don't always get what we want. And I think there's another thing that goes on too, and that is is that naturally what happens, and sports and, and band and, and theater and all those kinds of things, think about this, is that they all are great training grounds for what? For feedback. When you were studying music and you're learning music along the way, you, you would have teachers would go, oh, stop, 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 stop. You're, you're missing that note. Yep. Well, that wasn't because they were coming after you. They weren't demeaning you. They weren't telling you or something. They were saying, you, you got that wrong. Parenting spends a lot of time helping a child learn and grow by giving them feedback. Now, how we give that feedback is important. Ephesians chapter 6, just you know, a chapter and a half right after what we're going to study this weekend, tells, tells fathers, it's, it's an admonition to fathers, it says, do not exasperate your children. In other words, when you're correcting them, don't break their spirit. When you're correcting them, don't drive it in so hard and so strong that you actually crush them. Okay, right. so there's an admonition because we know how that can work sometimes. And by the way, that can be moms, dads, it doesn't really matter, is that we can crush a spirit. So what we know is, is that there is, this is a training ground and a growing ground. And in families, that happens normally. And one of the hardest things to hear, I don't care if you're 55 like me or, you know, 10 like a child, hey, you did that wrong. Well, let's right. correct that, right? So that So families have natural correction, which is why the culture just says what? Let them do whatever they want. Well, does that really ever help a child? That doesn't help a child. You know what that does? Here's what that does. When when we adopt the idea of what the world says, which is let them do whatever they want, make their own decisions, I'm not going to force anything on them, I'm not going to tell them any of that, what that does to the kid is this, is it will make the world be their critic. Because now they'll go out into the world and they won't have known what is right or wrong. The world will tell them. And what does the world do with people at that age? It chews them up. The family is a training ground, and there will be conflict, and we can resolve it. We don't avoid it. We address it, and we address it early, and we address it often. And 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 by the way, that's the negative side of all that, because what that does is, is think about it. It's like planting a garden. I don't grow a garden to weed weeds, but I weed weeds so that my garden produces fruit. 
we weed weeds in, in our children's lives because we want them to have productive, not just productive, but let's say beautiful lives. And part of that is they have self-control and constraint. Well, I am so excited to hear you talk more about this on Sunday. I think it's something that's so um, needed um, as we're heading into this new stage of recovering from COVID and getting out and going. Um, so make sure you guys tune in on Sunday. This Thursday, actually, we're starting our new um, sub-series of the Salty Pastor. Yeah. Um, Pastor Doug's doing um, a series called What in the Sam Hill? And basically, it's our, our Salty Pastor Overview series, where if you haven't been able to listen to all 100 episodes, you can onboard really quickly and kind of catch on to these premises and these philosophies and things that he talks about and references a lot. Yeah. Um, and so Thursday will be the first one of those. So make sure you tune in. I think um, it is on Critical Race Theory, I think, is the one he's doing. Um, there are a little bit shorter, but they'll help you kind of um, onboard and get on the on-ramp so you can cruise really fast. Yeah, so. it's kind of like a library. I mean, God bless Pastor Doug, right? I mean, here he is putting out fresh bread over and over and over again. And, and you know, we're in summer and people are going around. But the beautiful thing is a podcast. Take the teaching wherever you go and listen to it. It's a great one. I think it drops at 4 o'clock on Thursdays, right? About then, yeah. yeah. Sometime in the afternoon on Thursdays. Yeah. So thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you, Pastor Hart, for joining us here. yet again. And we will see you on Thursday here at the podcast, either online on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts.